Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about medicine and agriculture with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulton, and this week we're going to be talking about barley. Now, barley has a lot of roles for us in different capacities, but one of the experts on barley is Dr. Sheila Adamargono, who's uh, currently in Cologne, Germany, where I was two weeks ago and wish we could have done this in person, but we had technical issues. <laughs> but she's an independent research consultant and uh, does other work in, in research as well. So welcome to the podcast, Sheila. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. It's really great because I know you from Twitter and I really enjoy your feed and was really excited that we could talk about barley because this is a topic that I teach about in our plant domestication course and really wanted to have you on to talk to an expert. So um, really great to have you on today. So, Oh, thank you again. Very kind of you to invite me. Well, let's start out with some background. So what exactly is barley and why is it so important? Technically, barley is just uh, a grass, uh, a member of a grass family. It's a hardy cereal. Uh, it has tillers, and its tillers bears a spike, which consists of spikelets or seeds. And from these seeds, we can get a heavenly drink, which is beer. Most people would say barley is important because it gives us beer and feed for animals. But I would say that barley is important because it has given us civilization. Uh, from math, written language, land administration and ownership, pregnancy tests even, measurement, which the U.S. user probably use it, which is an inch. And actually, if one's, uh, one wants to understand politics and monetary, start from the beginning, and that would be barley, domestication. So... I would say it's very important. So. I don't think that you can leave that out there without me touching on it. So how is barley related to pregnancy tests? Well, actually, during the Egyptian time, I think around 3000 BC or 4000 BC, 
they use wheat seeds and barley seeds as a pregnancy test as the, to indicate the sex even of the baby. So they would ask uh, a pregnant woman to urinate on uh, wheat seeds and barley seeds. Three days or seven days later, if wheat seeds germinated, that would be a girl. And if barley seeds germinated, that would be a boy even. And that work it has been test retested again in 1960s, and that has 70% accuracy. I think that would be impressive. It has 70% accuracy? Yes. So do you have 50% accuracy just by chance? or? <laughs> yeah, probably, but they, they, I was still impressed, but I just like, well, how on earth could you possibly, you know, think that... Um, to use this as uh, barley seeds and wheat seeds as a pregnancy test. So I just thought it's like, okay, we are on to something here. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I've urinated on barley and wheat seeds before, and uh, both of them germinate, and I haven't had any children yet. So, you know, I... <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I've never been pregnant, so the, 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 I'm a really good negative control. <laughs> For sure. But, but I would actually argue from uh, genetics and dormancy point of view that wheat and barley seeds from 4,000, 7,000 years ago are not likely to be similar with the barley seeds and wheat seeds we currently have. So um, okay. that would be an argument for me. So, okay, so, all right. So, so in defense of ancient pregnancy tests, I, I'll, I'll give you that one. Okay, so let's, let's, so, so much of their ancient function probably ties in with origin. So where did barley originate? It originated actually from Fertile Crescent, and that, which is modern day Israel, Jordan, Iran, and Iraq, even up to Turkey. And it extends into Central Asia, and that's present-day Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan, and western of Pakistan. Okay, so the Fertile Crescent. Is, is there a place on the Earth called the Infertile Crescent? <laughs> like Antarctica or something? <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> they should have found, used this one, uh, the barley for... Uh, infertility test on this one probably <laughs> you know this i don't know why this is good i'm glad we finally connected because at least we're having some fun so it's originated in the fertile crescent and so what do we know about diversity of barley around the world and are there ways that we can think of it in different classes or is it really just uh, very monolithic genetically it is monolithic in terms like it has one genome only it's not like wheat but you have like four or two different kind of genomes and copies even, barley is not that complicated. But barley genome is very big. It's about 5.1 gigabase pairs. It's, I think, about almost one and a half the size of human genome. I'm not a human uh, <laughs> a geneticist, so I'm not entirely sure. I think it's how big is the human genome? 2.3? No, no 2. you got 5. it right. Yeah, humans are about, uh, I think I usually go with the number of three uh, gigabases. But, but so you're looking at, you know, pretty much almost twice the human genome size. And that's just for the haploid genome, right? I mean, you're, and then you're talking about this being a uh, polyploid, but this is an allopolyploid? No, no, barley is uh, diploid. Okay, so, so barley is a simple diploid. Okay, very good. What are the trends we've seen about where barley is grown and how it's farmed? Barley is, uh, requires a bit of fertilization. So you need a bit um, winter 
and uh, they also requires a switch from short to long day. So that would mean from the around the Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn. So that region. Okay, so pretty above equator. Yeah, so pretty far north and south in order to get the appropriate photo period and chilling required in order to make it do what it does, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, so when barley was domesticated, are there any interesting stories or any interesting uh, things that you could talk about about its radiation into the diversity we see today? Yes, it's uh, what we, uh, what most people or what we tend to forget that is that um, all cotygens uh, plants we have, they all suffer seriously from domestication syndrome, which means they have been selected based on simple traits which uh, uh, ancient farmers uh, think that they were um, favorable. Scientifically, we would call them favorable, but <laughs> colloquially, we would probably say laziness and easiness, you know, just simple traits which make their life easier. So uh, in barley case, uh, it started with one gene only, which is the brittleness gene. The wild barley, they're all brittle. But the cultivated one, for some reasons, they have a mutation. And the barley seeds, the barley spikes are no longer brittle. So the seed stays on the spike. And this would technically doom the plant, reduce the efficiency of the seed dispersal. But we took it to our advantage. So, and which means it's easier instead of collecting all the fallen seeds on the ground, the ancient farmers just cut the plants, which is easier. Um, so that requires considerably less amount of work. And another thing which is just human got lucky, basically, is that bar wild body is a, a two-row spike, has two rows, but then they undergone mutations, which all of a sudden they turn into six rows. So it's basically tripled the yield, which is also, again, something, oh, this is very favorable for human. Another trait, which is um, less uh, feasible, is that the naked and non-naked seeds. Uh, wild barley has a very thick seed coat, very woody and very hard. But then, for some reason, it undergone a mutation and uh, it turned into naked seeds without any seed coats, which make it very easier to handle and faster to grind. So they make bread out of it. So, yeah, those kind of things which um, you could group it without using genetics. But this days with, with the knowledge of molecular markers, we can actually classify them better using the genetic uh, uh, knowledge, using the genetic markers. And we can study them using the allelic diversity and um, haplotype, and we can group them accordingly based on their um, allelic heterogeneity and diversity. Well, really, the big three things that look like the separation points are the, um, the ability to uh, not be brittle or the shatterproof uh, type of uh, mm -hmm. phenotype and then the two rows turning in the six rows and then also this naked seed so what's really cool about that is that it's a lot of the same kinds of traits that have been identified in other grains as favorable so 
Um, Let's follow up on that on the other side of the break. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we're talking with Dr. Sheila Adamargono, who is a private consultant or a research consultant that works with barley. And we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, Talking Biotechers. Episode 140 is important in that it emphasizes the importance of critically analyzing something very important, our own opinions. We form opinions and thoughts from the evidence we deem credible. Sadly, that tends to be the evidence that's already accepted from people we relate to, the folks in our trusted communities. You sometimes hear social scientists think of them as tribes. But in episode 140, I talked to Mark Linus about his new book, Seeds of Science. Now, Mark was not certain about technology to the point where he participated in actively stopping it. To his credit, he stepped back, looked at the data, and changed his mind. The good news is is that he sees technology with great nuance. He's no fan of companies and not even the rabid tech supporters, but he's a fan of technology that can help people or a planet. And this is the challenge to you. Listen to the podcast and challenge what you believe. Ask yourself honestly, what would it take to change my mind? And if confronted with that evidence, would I have the courage to change it? We live in strange times. I mean, the good news is that the way forward is easy. It's the truth. We need to test ourselves, challenge others, share beautiful stories, read seeds of science, critically evaluate Linus's claims, and share your thoughts on his thinking. The bottom line is, is that we have to constantly test ourselves for self-delusion and ensure that we are objectively thinking about data. Don't be anti-GMO, pro-GMO, be pro-science. Get excited about rigorous tests of claims and share that information. And read Mark's book, and, and for what it's worth, I bought mine online and I'm not being paid off by <laughs> Big Linus. I just thought that I appreciated his sophisticated discussion of a topic that is immediately polarizing and polluted by mistrust. If we can talk to each other and, well, talk to ourselves about challenging our beliefs, maybe that's the best way to have a productive discussion and get this technology out to those who can benefit from it. And welcome back to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Today we're talking about barley, its domestication, and what it's used for. Some of the interesting stories that go along with barley as it being used as a pregnancy test. <laughs> um, we're talking, <laughs> yeah, we're talking with Dr. Sheila Adamargono, and uh, we're covering some of the domestication traits that people found important uh, before they could make things like beer or bread. So we're talking about this shatterproof or this brittleness. Um, I, in my class, I always teach that this was identified in two different places at the same time or, or, or more potentially. What do you know about uh, that particular trait? We know so far from the genetic evidence is that barley from uh, Fertile Crescent has been domesticated twice independently. And one is on the western side from the Fertile Crescent, and the second one is about 1,500 to 3,000 kilometers farther east. And what we know is that from the western part, that contributed mostly to the diversity of European and American cultivars. And the second domestication on the east side of the Fertile Crescent, that is contribute a lot 
to the diversity of Bali and Central Asia and the Far East. And with a more recent finding from around 2012, I think, uh, some might even argue that barley was probably domesticated three times, and the third time would be in the Tibetan Plateau. And basically, there goes your theory of the center of origins, you know, when <laughs> one, one comes actually from one point, one place only. But it's this is not the case with barley. It comes from everywhere, basically. We cannot really pinpoint where it comes from, so... Well, this is one of the points about barley that is similar with other grains like sorghum and, and others. Really is interesting to me is that early domesticators, so early, or I guess you would say scientists, but probably farmers who are looking carefully at the crop, identified traits that they really liked. And in this case, that brittleness trait or shatterproof trait. And it turns out that in most grains, they identified these different centers of domestication because they select for the same trait in different places so that different farmers in different places find this brittleness gene or the lack of a functional brittleness gene a benefit and so what they find is that now you now you have seed that stays on the plant and has to be threshed rather than picked up off the ground and, and you have better yields but it's really fascinating because what it really tells us is that there's these multiple places of domestication but the same gene is affected just with different mutations. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yes, and it's probably, it's, I actually, it's, we keep thinking from the plant aspects, but we but perhaps also should think that everywhere across the world, human is the same <laughs> in terms of if it is my day, I would do it. So I will choose, go, I will take that choice. I would choose something which is easier, which is more beneficial for me. And that happens to be, you know, security of of the availability of the seed yes apparently. so uh, that's probably more it <laughs> so so laziness is the main driver of domestication events exactly <laughs> uh, laziness and easiness i think that's uh, if you would like to invent something i think go in that direction with this piece you know improve the laziness and easiness if it's yes i think um you're going to hit the jackpot yeah so well, I guess just that there may be a lot of farmers that object to the idea. They may go, well, we prefer ease of harvest. <laughs> it's yes. maybe, maybe a more judicious way of explaining. <laughs> yes. Well, you will have to find a much better, probably, a marketer or, or, um, or someone who can really say it in a nicer way, but Basically, this is how it goes. So. Sure, no, I understand. The other big tie-in with barley domestication that's been hotly debated among scholars has been: was it domesticated because of its use in um, in breads, or you know, like in this kind of uh, baking, or was it domesticated because when you when you fermented it in a big vat with water, um, the germinated seeds that it made a liquid that made you feel funny when you drank it. Um, so was it was it beer or bread? A beer, for sure. It's beer. It was so very early that it was bread, but I believe the reasoning was that there was not enough oven for bread yet at this point. And what they found is one of the earliest um, pots that they had. They found uh, barley traces, uh, malt traces, and so I believe uh, it's for beer. Also, because um, I do not think that they made um, a special 
pot for brewing for malting barley, but I think they also found this um, barley in the, in the pot in the jar by accident because probably one of the guy was too busy with something and he forgot to cover the pots and there was the barley storage and it got rain and he was too afraid probably to tell the wife or rest of the colony and he just covered it up with things and then three days later oh i have to do something and i will just say let's just take this and drink it and apparently everyone liked him better now so i think that's how it all started <laughs> um, we forgot that most ancient farmers are probably just as social and as <laughs> practical as we are now so you know just how to handle things socially rather than a plan things a lot of serendipity and accidents mainly that's i guess is how we get here so okay okay so the stories of barley are not just about laziness they're also about carelessness in covering up your mistakes <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, I, that would be my i would be my guess so Oh, you know, history is full of that stuff. But well, one of the things that I've seen uh, are artworks by the Sumerians. So, you know, another ancient people of that region who were seated around large vases, drinking liquid, apparently, out of a large vase with a straw. Is this kind of tied in with uh, perhaps fermentation of barley? Yes, uh, it's very likely. But what, what might have happened is that they also found a beer recipe uh, from the Sumerian uh, people, and they try it. It's not exactly the same barley like what we knew now with uh, full fermentation, but it's more like a mix of soap barley and they grind it. So I'm not so sure it's straw, but I think it's more like a stick or spoon when you have to stir the, the mixture every now and then because otherwise it will go to set into sedimentation. But it's more like a soft seed barley and you can just mess them further to get more sugary substance out of it so okay so so maybe here's another good question about the uses is we talked about beer and breads and things like that but what are some other uses that have historically been there for barley that may have been uh, part of their domestication story oh well uh, beer for sure and bread and it's nowadays our feet uh, uh, animal feed. Barley has been very for, popular, I think, for thousands of years. The, from the Egyptians, Sumerian, uh, it, or the Romans. But for some reason, all of a sudden, it's just it's getting into old fashion and it's got transition into animal feed. Even at one point, it was punishment, even. It, would, it really was going down from the foot of the, of the Roman gods, of the gladiators, into the punishment of gladiators. <laughs> so that's kind of a bit sad story. But most of the time now is actually for animal feed. And this is one of the main reasons why I'm a bit nervous with the body industry because it's been going down, reduced in terms of, of growth in the past, I think, five years or seven years. Because um, most farmers will go for a more expensive uh, crops, which earn more than just animal feed. So that's hmm. one. Of but at the same time, we also are seeing this big resurgence in interest, at least in the states and North America, um, around beer and different kinds of beer made from different barleys. And are there potential opportunities for um, barley breeders to be creating those markets? 
Uh, yes and no. The malt itself, it, um, the, I think they probably keep looking at into the 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 higher yield and stability of the um, alpha amylase malt industry because it's uh, full of chemistry. These people are very strict with the, any kind of changes in taste and substance. The requirement for barley malt barley. For which is going to be processed in the bigger uh, industry, which is beer, malting industry, they are very strict with any kind of chemical changes. So, and uh, there is hardly not so much room of changes in terms of certain components from from the yield. It's from the co components itself or constituents itself. So, it's I don't think there will be a lot of space left for the breeders to change the barley seed composition with regard to malt. But, however, we are all now suffering from the climate change and it looks like that there, we are going to suffer everyone from uh, yield reduction. Well, I can better imagine now is that when the wheat uh, yield is reduced and the number of malt that has to be fed is increasing, it's not the same, Something has to take over wheat, and I'll see actually now the coming back of uh, barley, not as animal feed but as human feed. Uh, whether they are now already busy making barley flour for bread and pasta, so I think there will be more possibility for barley breeder to play around in that direction than changing the malting taste. Um, those guys are very strict in the industry i'm sorry to say so. no that's good though but so what about um the issue of biofortification we've seen with other grains the introduction of genes for say beta carotene or other um, other nutrients that are missing inherently from those grains what's happening in barley in that particular area yeah um is this one of the other thing in barley as compared to wheat uh is that for some reason with the classic genetic transformation with agrobacterium, uh, it is not exactly feasible to do transformation in barley. There is only one cultivar in barley, which is Golden Promise, which can be transformed with 25% success rate. And this is very odd because Golden Promise is a direct uh, gamma ray mutation from MyTorp, an older line, and gamma torque you just cannot transform it. And until today, we cannot find another kind of barley cultivars that would be willing to be transformed. So I guess our limitation is set by the plant, by the genome itself. But I do think that because of the availability of new biotechnology like CRISPR or RNA silencing, I think those technology would be a much better use and can find definitely will be used in barley breeding rather than the transformation, uh, the classic transformation. Well, you mentioned the barley genome, and uh, what did we learn from sequencing the barley genome? Was there anything really outstanding that helped us understand anything about its domestication or its unique properties? Yes, the domestication and barley genomes and genetics in general is very complicated much more complicated than we could ever imagine. <laughs> um, it's, um, well, in barley, it is very challenging, though. I mean, not only that the genome itself is big, 
but mainly because it contains about 80 to 85 percent junk DNA full of repeats and until today we have actually no idea what they actually do that's one thing to interpret the data we just don't know what they do they are just there yeah. uh, second is that the ordering of the genes it's not so easy as one would think. If you sequence then, um, the genome, then you know the order. And that's not the case because the, the junk DNA, they are short, so it's impossible to order short sequences. And because it's gene A, um, junk DNA, gene B. So, but the problem is because you cannot know, there is no standard fixed connection within the junk DNA it is not possible to order gene A and gene B accurately. So we actually, we know the, the, we know the, the DNA for sure, we know the sequences, but ordering it into a workable, um, high confidence, with a high confidence, uh, high confidential map, the genomic uh, sequence map, physical map, it is not, we are not that far ahead yet. I think we will need probably another like five more years for that. And that is actually, yeah, that makes the breeding uh, more complicated than we actually thought. And another is that uh, we've now sequenced the uh, cultivated barley, the Elite lines, Morex, this is the American barley, and the wild barley is that what happened, what we noticed is that wild barley, um, it contains a lot of, uh, lethal alleles, deleterious alleles, and um, and that's actually we have always a lot of breeders, including me, and uh, we always think we if we took uh, we cross back to wild barley, we will enrich the genome. There will be a higher degree of genetic diversity. But what we forgot, <laughs> which is a good lesson now, is that once you cross back with the wild barley, you also include back a lot of uh, unfavorable, even deleterious allele. Consequently, if the progenies can have these genes, the lethal genes, the progenies can be lethal. So it's um, okay, it's something that, you know, we should talk about this earlier. And what we also noticed that so far, we thought we have many genomes, many genes for breeding and domestication, but actually, we actually fix all only around um, domestication syndrome uh, genes. And um, one of those things is that a lot of uh, genomic regions, they are actually not accessible for recombination at all. So we always thought we will just find new genes, we will find new QTLs, we will find new uh, regions. But with the information we got so far from the new sequencing data, our options or breed of for breeding sources is not unlimited. There is a serious limitation to this, and it means that okay, now what with these limitations? How far can we go? Uh, and how are we going to deal with the limit? Because all biological uh, thing is a subject to limit, but in the breeding, we always have every year, I would like to have one and a half percent increase in yield. And it's been going up steady, but 
there will be a limit and hopefully there yeah what, what are we going to do with that that's really something that yeah we're all now going to wonder how are we going to improve breeding if we are limited in our sources of variation and this will be like uh, probably the subject and the challenging uh, uh, questions in the next years i would think well, to me, I'm going to interpret this as an existential threat towards beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and, and, and I'm going to call for uh, a wide-scale investment of resources into barley per, into barley research. Well, maybe this is a good point. Maybe barley is the poster child for where we need better gene editing because we know lots about different uh we know a lot about different traits in different grains and they seem to translate well between grains and so is this just a case where barley if it was transformable could be uh, probably one of the best candidates for substantial remodeling by gene editing techniques yes that's for sure you would probably can because of the limitations of the genetic variations we have well it's not that limited yet but with the genetic editing, that would be, well, then all of a sudden we will have more choices, and that would be great, I think. Well, that sounds really good. I, more choices are always better, and better barley is you know better for everybody, I think. Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Well, so let's, um, if people wanted to find you on social media, where would they look? What Tell us all about your Twitter account. Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Seminicia. I'm not always good with short stories, so I'm also on Facebook. And I have this page. Trust me, I'm a seed scientist, and you can find me there and post questions there. There are a lot of uh, pre-breeders, breeder scientists, and um, seed uh, people <laughs> on those pages, and sometimes they have better answers than me, so... Come and have a look, I would say. No, very good. So that's on that's on Trust Me, I'm a Seed Scientist on Facebook. And yes. Sem, or Seminisa. Seminisia. It's like Seminis yeah. with I-A at the end. Oh, Seminisa. Seminisia. Yes. <laughs> All right. S-E-M-I-N-I-S-I-A. Okay. Yes. Very good. And I'll put those links on the website itself. So, Dr. Sheila Adamagono, uh, thank you so much for joining me and sharing what you know about barley. I had a lot of fun with this one, so thank you. Thank you so much for having me again. No, very good. And thank you very much to the listeners. Thank you, as usual, for listening. And, of course, write, write a review and refer a friend. And broadcast it on Twitter and other scientific places where you might find a broader audience for us so we can share more science with more people. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to TalkingBiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time sharing data and insights with ease.
revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.